conversation about games, life, and belief. I'm your host, Drew Dixon, and I'm joined today by our managing editor, Richard Clark. Hey, Rich. Hey, Drew. How's it going, man? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Uh, I'm also joined today by a special guest. Uh, each week, we, we invite a special guest to talk with us about uh, games, life, and belief. And this week, our guest is... Um, Co-founder of the Fulbright Company and and one of the the uh, lead developers on on Gone Home. Uh, it's uh, Steve Gainer. Hey, Steve. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Oh, good. Glad to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, we're really excited to have Steve on because um, I think Gone Home is I think for Rich and I both definitely one of our favorite games of, of recent. Um, just a really unique, I think. Game that did some some fast, fantastic things in terms of storytelling. Um, so so we're really really excited to have you on. Yeah, uh, well thank you very was, much. I think it might have been one of Jesus's top three games as well. <laughs> for the record, yeah. I, I almost I almost pulled that up um, to try and figure out, but I, I forgot. I it was number I bet... two. I just checked. It's number two under brothers. <laughs> Each, uh, I don't know if you know this, you probably don't, but um, one of the things we do at the end of every year at GameChurch.com is uh, we, instead of putting out like a top 10 games list, we put out the top 10 games that Jesus loves list. <laughs> so, uh, that's, so that's interesting. Is this, um, so yeah, you're right. Sorry, I haven't read the feature, but is the idea of it um, like uh, feeling like it would uphold the ideals that uh, that that he believed in, or like what is the metric there? You just think he would think they were cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes and yes. Mostly, okay. we're thinking of it. It's very tongue in cheek because obviously, sure. um, right. <laughs> I don't feel super comfortable like speaking for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> right, most of the time. Um, but uh, so we we. We'd started this last year doing a, we do a podcast before where we invite some of our writers on and we sort of argue about which games we think of the year Jesus would like the most. And so based <laughs> on that argument that we have, then we determine the top, you know, the top 10. Okay. Um, According to the so, article, it says more than merely fun, quote unquote, they resonate with the life message or values of Jesus him- himself. That's what it says. Huh. Well, that's so, so, so that's so interesting. I mean, Sorry, I don't want to derail you guys too much, but Let's I would do love Let's to get know. Into it. So, so I'd like to know what I mean. I'd be interested to hear uh, what um, rationale you guys had, like what what aspects of it um, applied in your thinking for that. Because I've read some um, some you know essays from Christian writers about um, Gone Home, and there's been some interestingly different. Um, uh, interpretations, I guess, um, of some of the themes in it. Um, so yeah, what, what was the, what parts of the game put it high on, on that list for you guys? I'm interested. Um, I, one of the the big things I think is that, um, I think it's a game that really challenges the, um, the player to listen, if that makes sense, like to listen to, uh, to Sam's story, you know, uh, to (laughs) Sam and Lonnie's story and, and, um, and their their family, um, and I think that that that's like one of the the most compelling things. Whether you know, and we'll get into this in a minute. I know um, 
you know, you're not a Christian, Steve. We had this talk <laughs> a while back yeah, yeah, at the GDC. Right. So, well, that's another interesting thing is the last time we talked was before the game came out. And yeah. yeah. I, I thought a really, a really interesting conversation. So, yeah, it'll be uh, cool to catch up now that you yeah. played the first thing. But, but yeah. yeah, at that point, I had just played the uh, GDC build. So, right. um, so just the first half of the game. But, yeah, so... Um, one of the things I think that Jesus values is like is listening to people, is hearing them out. One of the core doctrines of the Christian faith is um, belief in the incarnation, meaning that we believe God came and took on human flesh and dwelt among us as a person, as a human being. That he was he was God, and yet it's this great mystery, right? That he was God and yet fully man. That he was. To- I mean, he had um, you know. Uh, all the limitations that we have as, as human beings, he, he willingly adopted on himself. And so I think in doing that, Jesus is saying, I want to identify with you. I want to understand you. I want to understand human beings. Um, and, and uh, I mean, I think we would say he already does understand us, but he's ma- he's he's willingly humbling himself. And I think, to mm-hmm. me, Gone Home was a game that challenged people to sort of humble themselves, in a sense, and, and hear out the story of its characters in a really intimate way. Um, by, by inviting us to be so voyeuristic and, and you know, right. get in on, on the nitty gritty details of this family's life, lives, and a, but it just it seemed natural based on the sort of outflow of the story. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think no, also there's, I think also there's a, a sense in which Gone Home works really well in the context of video games. Like comparing it to other games, it was just like a striking. Uh, difference, contrast in that it focused on individuals and human beings and, uh, the inner lives of people. That was something that I don't think you've, you know, we've seen a lot of, especially, yeah. especially like in an explicit sense. Um, sure, it, yeah. I feel like most art games were about the player. They were about like exploring our own feelings and thoughts, things like, you know, Proteus and stuff like that. But this one was about yeah. very specific individuals and they weren't necessarily at all like us, you know? Yeah. So, right. Cool. And, and yet there is this invitation there to, um, even though it's not your story in the way that other games like want you to think <laughs> it's your story. Yeah. You know, sure. Like, um, countless games want you to think like you're, you're the guy, you're, you know, you're whoever it is, Fallout. Right. A kid. <laughs> you know? A dude in Fallout. You're, you're Mr. Fallout. Or right. Fallout. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so even though it's not your story, I think, like, the way the story unfolds by you simply choosing or not choosing to look at certain things and read certain notes and, and um, you know, it's it's all based on how much you want to observe of your environment. So it feel, even though it's not your story, it feels, I think, really personal. So to yeah. me, there was a real connection to that whole idea of incarnation. Okay, cool. No, yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I think that there, some of the important stuff I think that you're getting at is the idea of a, a plea to be empathetic towards others, you know, I think is yeah. really central, um, to kind of the best parts of, um, the, the values, um, that Christianity stems from. And then also is, I think, you know, what we're, what we're trying to invite players into with gone home is to say like become invested in these people and learn to care about them and to empathize with their experiences even if they're not the experiences you've lived through personally um and you know i think that that is central to um you know so much art and entertainment that really connects with us is saying this gives you a window into another person's experience and helps you understand other people better um so yeah the fact that people could kind of um 
make that leap um, with Gone Home has has been really great for us to see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, one of the things we like to do at the um, outset of the cast is talk to our guests about where they come from and uh, kind of what they think about God, about spirituality, about belief. Um, so we've had this conversation with Steve before, uh, but most of, I don't, well, I don't know, a lot of people who hear this podcast probably will not have read that conversation. So sure. um, we do a, a interview series at GameChurch.com where a couple times a month we interview a game developer um, about some of these similar questions about what they think about life, about God, about ethics, those sorts of things. Um, so, Steve, feel free to speak freely. Uh, don't worry about it if, yeah. you, if you repeat anything that we we covered in that. Interview. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So, tell us a little bit about kind of your upbringing and and what you know how you kind of came to believe what you believe about about you know your sort of kind of core beliefs about life. Sure. I um. I mean that this is. A lot of this is reflected, I think, in in Gone Home, in that um, you know I was you I were, was brought up in you were a, a 90s middle kid. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I was an '80s kid, I guess. <laughs> okay. like, Sam Sam would have been like five or six years older than me, I think. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, I was I was born in 1982, and I, I was I was in a very kind of suburban middle American family, um, and you know, my, my dad worked for AT&T and my mom was a teacher and it was just sort of like, you know, very, very middle class. Um, and, and I'm really happy with, you know, like the neighborhood we grew up in and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I think of it as being a fairly average upbringing, um, for an American kid in the late part of the 20th century. And I feel like part of that average American experience is also having um, a moderate level of connection to church going and to, uh, Christianity just as sort of like, you know, if Christmas every year and Easter and, yeah. you know, you maybe go to church every Sunday or, you know, maybe only at the holidays or maybe some, you know, or more often than that. But, you know, it's somewhere in the, in the middle of kind of like our family was not super religious at all. I actually don't remember. I think we went to a Presbyterian church. Yeah, it was just, it was like one of those. Kind of like, one of those churches. In there, I don't know, Lutheran maybe, you know, kind of thing where it's sort of like, okay, we weren't <laughs> Catholic, you know, we weren't like, um, like any kind of, you know, Orthodox or otherwise, just sort of like, you know, you, you get a little dressed up, you go to church, there's a sermon, they have donuts afterwards. Um, and, you know, you go to the, I like my mom's side of the family, um, there was some Catholicism on my mom's side of the family, so we went to like midnight mass, like on Christmas Eve, um, mm-hmm. some of the time, like if we had, if we were visiting family for Christmas or if they were in town. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to Sunday school and blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, it was just, and, and like when I was growing up, my dad would read to me before I went to bed when I was like a little kid, and at some point, um, we started reading through the Bible as like the thing that we would read together um, hmm. at bedtime. Um, my dad was always more religious than my mom. Like, I don't think my mom even really goes to church anymore, but my dad still does and is like involved with his church. He like, he runs, he runs like the projector <laughs> on the, like when they're doing the thing. Uh, so he like helps with the AV. I mean, I assume he sings along, uh, but, yeah, but I think it's more like, you know, he's like, he volunteers to be the AV guy and help them like do the service every, every week and stuff. So, um, but yeah, it was never a huge, huge, well, 
I think, you know, I was pretty into it, I guess, when I was, when I was in elementary school. But, you know, I don't know, somewhere in there, I guess I just, I started thinking about it more objectively, um, sort of stepping back and looking at it from an outside point of view. And actually, um, did either of you guys go through the, the commentary mode in Gone Home? We updated it with like a director's commentary thing. Oh man, I don't think I knew that was there. Yeah, it's pretty I, hidden. Yeah, I'd heard about it, but I uh, I haven't got a chance to look at it. So when you start a new game, um, you click new game, and then there's a button that is modifiers, and you can do stuff like start all the doors unlocked, or start with all the lights on, or like turn off audio diaries, so it's just exploring the house. But we added a couple months after the game came out, we added commentary mode, and there's nice. Actually, there's an hour and a half of audio content, um, and it's just there are nodes like icons floating around the house and you click on it and just plays an audio diary that's me and Carla or Kate or Youngman or um, Chris Remo who did our music and um, Corin Tucker who was the lead singer of Heavens to Betsy, one of the Riot Girlfriends that we licensed and our voice actors so a bunch of people um, we, we recorded and, and we have these little commentary um, bubbles and so one of them um, I'm actually talking about some of this stuff, Carla and I both are um, we have similar backgrounds um i think we put this in sam's closet where there's like a bunch of her old stuff that she's left in boxes when they moved into the new house and she has a little um bible in there that's in the bottom of a box and so we kind of talked about our own um uh religious upbringing when we were kids and coming into adulthood and everything but um but yeah you know somewhere around i i I remember i remember being in a church service and it was basically talking about you know like just the high level of, like, it was talking about like the resurrection and like he was, you know, Jesus was dead and then he, three days later, he was not dead anymore. And I, and I think I was maybe, it, must, it was before we moved. So I moved to Florida when I was like 10. So this must have been when I was like 10 years old. And, uh, I remember thinking, wait a second, that's not possible. <laughs> like, <laughs> like people don't be dead and then not be dead. That's magic. Magic isn't real. <laughs> like, you know, like, and there are a lot of these magical concepts and sort of like, you know, and I know that like, depending on how literally you take stuff, either it's kind of a myth or it's a miracle that was a feat of God's power that actually happened, but it was sort of this miraculous, um, uh, occurrence or whatever. But, you know, coming from, a world where I just started kind of, kind of becoming aware of concepts of just like, you know, there are physical laws of the universe that are constants. And if something's not in the world that we can, that we actually occupy, that we can measure, there's no reason to believe that it still exists. It's sort of like, you know, like just sort of like, where is heaven? Well, we have a lot of telescopes and we can't see it. You know, I mean, and I know that this is, again, like, this is a, a set, this is a, a line of reasoning that is counter to the core concepts behind the beliefs in those things. But I'm, it's, uh, it was still this starting point of like, if this stuff is real, where is it? If, if this stuff happened thousands of years ago, why hasn't it happened again since then? You know, and, yeah. and just sort of being like, I understand. So going from there to being like, okay, if this, if this is not literally, actually true if it is you know like a set of beliefs that are the basis for stuff that is real such as you know having a set of moral beliefs um, that dictate how you lead your life and how you think about what you value and how you should interact with other people and so forth that's great um but personally you know i went from 
that point to just kind of being like, okay, I don't have any, you know, I don't have any reason personally to think that yes, there is a God that exists and is somewhere in the universe and is like doing stuff or a heaven that you actually go to or any of the miracles that happened in the Bible that don't have any kind of actual precedence um, to occur from the physical laws of reality. Um, so it's not like literally real, but it's a reason to believe you should do this and shouldn't do this and you should be charitable towards other people and you should have empathy and you should not do stuff that hurt that hurts others and you know so on and so forth and i'm totally comfortable in believing those moral directives and trying to have a harmonious life with other people that live you know that share this planet with with myself um without also having to think and that's based in a set of religious beliefs that just aren't very convincing to me, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, I, I believe that sure. Jesus was a real person and that he convinced people of like this way of thinking. And I think that's really powerful. Um, but then kind of the mystical side of it, um, is just not part of what, uh, is something that, that is meaningful to me. Um, yeah. So that, that's, I guess that's, that's my background of where I sit. It's so funny yeah. how like we've interviewed a few people by now and, and Alan, Williamson kind of had your same perspective. And one thing he said was like, you know, if Jesus comes down to earth and says, Hey, then maybe I'll believe him. But you know, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really have a reason to. And, and it's always like, um, it's, it's interesting to me how there, there's a set of people that the impetus is on the miraculous to like come out and happen in, in front of them. And that would, mm-hmm. I don't know. Th- in other words, they're looking for proof for the miraculous. Because to them, the self-evident thing is that, that, uh, reason and, and science and logic are like the only things and the, the paramount things. For me, like, I, I kind of have this stance and it, it hasn't been the case my entire life, but just, you know, kind of since I became a Christian and because this is part of the reason I became a Christian, like, I just started to have this feeling like there were things all around me all the time that I couldn't explain with reason that I couldn't explain with logic as you know, and that there was no, it wasn't like I was missing some important information or something. Um, but that it was just like to like sublime art, you know, and things like love and things like, um, like, you know, values that I had uh, kind of ingrained in me, uh, virtue. Yeah, exactly. Just sort of like abstract things that, that I, I just looked around and thought, like, I don't know, like, I feel like God has to exist. Otherwise, like, like evolution is the craziest, most insane miracle on earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, I, I think that, I think it's a fair thing to think as well, because I think that, so from my point of view, there's a ton of stuff that as an individual who's only on this earth for maybe, you know, a hundred years, if you're real lucky. Um, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that is essentially, um, unfathomable, you know, mostly in scope, you know, it's like, you can't really picture how much water is in the ocean, right? Like that's insane. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) if you saw how much water is in the ocean all in one place, a, you would have to like, I guess, make it into a sphere and like be out in space to like, it's like, you can't picture that. And I think similarly, one can't picture what literal billions of years look like, you know, like I've, I've been, you know, when you travel somewhere, you go to Europe, or go to Japan or something, and you're in some structure, and it's like, this structure was constructed in the year 849. You're like, I can't, that, what? <laughs> like, you, you can't picture, like, that much, sure. you know? Like you, and, and so I feel like it's the same way, where it's just sort of like, e- evolution has had 
so much time and so many trillions of lifespans, depending on what kind of organism it's affecting, to 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 get to the point that we're currently at. But yeah, it is essentially an an infa- an unfathomable, essentially miracle as far as e- any of us could perceive. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that there is kind of a line between saying like. And I believe that that has the potential to have taken our existence from single-celled organisms on a global ocean to us talking through microphones that are communicating through computers through the internet <laughs> to each other right now. You know, like, and that, yeah. and that is crazy. Um, but I also think that it's something that, that, that it's something that makes sense within the realm of reason that you were describing that I guess similarly no individual can really independently verify aside from there's evidence that you can extrapolate from that saying like yeah if you if you take some single cell organisms now that have a lifespan of like hours or days and you study them over the course of years and you change their environment and what they're exposed to you can see adaptation over multiple generations and extrapolate that out into well I guess something as complex of of an organism as a human could do that if it wasn't over an observable lifespan of one scientist, but over millions and millions of lifespans of individual people. Sure. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think that it's a, there's a mindset there that is essentially different ways of grappling with concepts that are too big for any one of us to really observe directly. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like, I think for me, it's like, I mean, I'm probably being kind of crude here towards what Rich just said, <laughs> but uh, but I didn't. I don't ever remember going like, um, okay, so like evolution would. That's like the craziest miracle ever. It makes more sense that there's a creator or whatever. I don't remember ever having like a moment like that. Um, but I do like. So what I think what kind of won me over to Christianity is um, like I grew up probably pretty similar to you, Steve, actually mm-hmm. kind of like we, we went to church a little bit. Um, and, but I don't like remember ever having a conversation really, mm-hmm. except for maybe at the holidays with my parents about like Jesus or the Bible. I don't remember reading the Bible with my parents. I remember sleeping a lot in church. And I didn't go. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so then when I got in to high school and, and in, into college, um, like it kind of became my thing. Like I went to church with some friends yeah. uh, on my own. Sure. And so I remember like encountering this idea that, um, that there was a God who, like, I, like we talked about earlier, who took, took on flesh and wanted to know me and have like a relationship with me. I know that's like, that's like a, maybe a cliche thing to talk about, but, um, but this idea that, that God gave up his life for his people um was just like i don't think that there's like a way to like it's the that's the love is the greatest that kind of love that sort of self-sacrificial love at all costs that is displayed at least you know whether you believe it or not um Mm -hmm. is displayed in the idea of jesus sacrifice on the cross um was just kind of blew my mind and i said and i kind of said i said i want to i want i want that i want that for myself but then i also want that to be like the way I, the way I operate in life. Like I want to love people with that sort of self, with, with that sort of self-sacrificial reckless abandon. Um, yeah. and, and I don't, I'm, I'm a selfish, <laughs> you're, you're I'm a selfish, jerk, but, 
all of us are are imperfect towards our ideals, whatever they are. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty resonant concept. Oh, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> just knocking stuff over. We're good. Okay, so my mirror just stuff. my mirror just broke. <laughs> wow. Amazing. That is like <laughs> a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about timing. Um, anyway, <laughs> as I was saying, some sort of sign. I'm really now I'm agonizing over whether we should edit this out. No, we'll leave it in. Anyway, uh, no, that's way too important. Like this conversation, <laughs> a mirror randomly shatters in your room. That <laughs> you can't edit that out. I don't care about uh, uh, superstitions. <laughs> anyway. It's not your. You didn't break it. You don't get bad luck off of that. It broke on its own. <laughs> The Game Church Podcast is sponsored by Christ in Pop Culture, which exists to acknowledge, appreciate, and think rightly about the common knowledge of our age through thoughtful, long-form articles, challenging blog posts, and a beautifully illustrated bi-weekly online magazine at ChristinPopCulture.com. You can also check out the Christ in Pop Culture Podcast in iTunes to hear our talented contributors reflect on the latest in pop culture three times a week. Yeah, I think it's a pretty resonant uh concept and to me it's like one of the biggest uh talk about crudeness selling points of christianity <laughs> is uh is that idea and uh it's it's one that i've like the people that are closest to me that are not christians or that slowly became not christians over time I, like i had an ex-wife who started out as a christian and she basically we got divorced because she had a moment where she realized she wasn't a christian um wow. and then she kind of moved out um, so, so, that, so that was, I mean, I don't, let's, let's not get too personal, I guess, but that was irreconcilable for you guys. It was like too important to you. Or? Uh, it was not, it was some, it was something I was fine with in terms of staying in the marriage, but it was, uh, it was, she moved out and like, didn't, yeah. she didn't come back. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, sure. And it was weird. It was w- this weird thing because she agonized over it until i finally kind of pulled the trigger and said yeah okay let's let's just call it (laughs) you know yeah yeah. but that whole issue for her was like i love she was like i love that idea that that he would that he would do that for me but i keep asking like it doesn't make sense why would you even have to do that like you're god you can do whatever you want (laughs) you don't need to like kill yourself literally on a cross in order to do that and then make us feel bad forever. Right. So, you know, as a result, I had to grapple with those, those concepts and ultimately it just came down to like, for me, a lot of things come down to resonance. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. um, I think so many things are like unexplainable and impossible to kind of reason out that, um, I have to kind of trust there's like a, there is a purpose behind of all of this. And ultimately like there's a question of what resonates most with not just me, but like yeah. humankind, I guess. Right. So. I think, I think, I mean, I don't know. I think that that is a core part of the personal, um, reasoning that any individual has is at least in part, like, how comfortable are you with stuff just literally being unanswered? You know, cause yeah. it's yeah. sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with saying there's stuff that happens in the universe that we do not understand and there's stuff that we think we understand that later we develop the ability to observe better and oops we were wrong about like what caused that phenomenon um and our understanding yep. of it changes and just sort of like there is stuff that happens for essentially no reason because a lot of things in this universe are 
random or there's a lot of stuff that happens that we we can't necessarily explain why and i think that you know there's a there's an allure to saying that thing that we can't explain why it happened it must have a reason and the reason must be that the creator has a plan that is unknowable to us that that was the cause for that happening versus that happened and we can't explain why and that is simply something that we don't have an explanation for because we don't believe that there is one uh, whether it's rational or whether it's a uh, supernatural or otherwise higher power um that's the explanation for it and i'm personally fine with saying i there's just stuff we can't explain and maybe we never will be able to or maybe we will someday but it doesn't have to have a cause such as a higher power that that's defining what what the that reasoning is you know yeah, I think, I think you're right, mostly. The only thing for me, though, is that this idea of, like, this, uh, this higher power as an explanation for that mystery is, like, doesn't help me out a lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's kind of enraging that you have this person, you have this personal relationship with someone who theoretically has told you a ton of things, but they've <laughs> le- left out, like, key, uh, points about think, horrible things that will happen in your life and to people you love and stuff like that that's going to come together like um for me that's not really part of why <laughs> of why okay. i believe that cuz it's okay. like not it's not super helpful it is um it is something i have to believe because here i am you know sure but right. um and it's something that helps me ultimately like because it has to like i just yeah. have to believe that so like, i think uh was it i i think it helps a lot of I, a lot of people a lot of professing Christians. I guess in a sense. In another I mean, sense, and I, like and I understand be... what you're saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. and there's the other side of it that isn't looking for an explanation for why, you know, bad things happen to good people or whatever that, you know, kind of uh, cliche is. But the other, the opposite end of it that you were talking about earlier, where it's just like, why do I feel love or why do I feel overwhelmed with emotion when I look at this piece of art or whatever? Um, yeah. And... You know, yeah, I think there's a divide there as well, where it's sort of, there's a similar level of, so I, so I have what I feel like is a, a fairly, you know, just like a high level objective, uh, belief in what the core reason for that is, which is just basically like, okay, you have reactions to stimuli and depending on what kind of genes have made up your particular mental makeup, you have uh, you know, rushes of endorphins that are associated with having certain experiences and that leads you to feel those very strong emotions based on very specific things that through nature and nurture you have been essentially conditioned to react to. That said, <laughs> like some people can look at that and be like, therefore the feelings that you have in response to that are, you know, are, are, are an illusion or aren't you know, like real or something. And I, I don't go, I personally say, okay, I can understand that there's a very mechanical reason for why you feel a feeling that is otherwise sort of like unique in, in your own experience. Yeah. But going from there to saying, and that feeling still means something, you know, even if it doesn't come from yeah. anything higher than the chemical reactions that are happening inside our bodies, the fact that I feel real love and connection to my wife, you know, or to an, an artistic experience that I have that changes me and that makes me 
understand more about what's valuable about the human experience, um, I think the end result is the same. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, I forget what I was going to say. I had some, I had insight into this. Um, but it's interesting, like, to hear you talk about, <laughs> but, uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about it because, like, I think some Christians, anyway, have this, like, vision of, cause you, we, we talked before, you said mm-hmm. you, you would consider yourself an atheist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think a lot of Christians have this view of atheists as if, like, they think <laughs> that they, let's just get the stereotype type out in the open. Yeah. A lot of Christians think of atheists as people who think that reason has an answer. Reason and science and logic has an answer for everything. Um, I think that's the way we think about it. And, and we're like, but here's all the stuff that you can't answer. Like, uh, right. <laughs> like the, like the origin of life or, um, yeah. you know, the, um, matter, you know, how matter, why does matter exist? Um, right. Yeah, I mean, um, if there was a Big Bang, then what was there before the Big Bang, and why did it happen? And like, right. I think that yeah, and and I think that the the thing that is valuable for people who are coming from that from the camp of like you know starting from from saying you know that that there's some kind of reason based explanation for everything, and and people that you know are looking at that from the outside is that in both cases to remember that you know the theory of the Big Bang or the theory of evolution by name remain theories you know and it's sort of like sure we we acknowledge that this is our best guess <laughs> you know uh, we yeah. think this is probably the most reasonable explanation for this thing but i think that there are people who you know and like anybody who has any set of beliefs and goes all the way to absolutism about them and says this is definitely the reason for this like enormous unknowable phenomenon um there's probably some fault in their outlook, <laughs> sure. you know, like there, there are things we can be extremely sure of just yeah. sort of like this ice is melting because it's warm in here, you know, <laughs> but like when you go out to these, like these, these concepts that span eons, um, it's sort of like you, you can't say, I think we yeah. know absolutely, but we can say this is the best that we've got now. And maybe we'll be able to know more right. later. And I think that admission and I think Christians would probably do better to be more upfront about what we don't know. Um, uh, I think we all like, but it was just, it was encouraging me to hear you go like, there's just a lot of stuff that like, we just don't have answers for because, um, you know, it break, it breaks that, that silly stereotype. I think that a lot of Christians, yeah. Christians have about atheists, but if we'll admit, like if we'll admit that there are these incredibly huge mysteries that we're, um, you know, Christianity, religion, or, or, or even atheism can give us, some insight into those things, but there's still these huge mysteries that we don't have answers for. I think that admission, being humble enough to admit that that's true, that there's things that we don't know, allows us to have conversations like the one we're having today without like reaching across the, the aisle and trying to <laughs> strangle each other, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So, um, with that said, um, let's, let's talk about video games. Oh, uh, games. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all right. Uh, unless there, there was any other, you know, um, great stories from your past that you want to, uh, want to tell us, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that, um, I, I, one thing I'll say is that I, it has been really interesting seeing before we get onto the broader topics of general game stuff, it's been really interesting okay. seeing people, um, have reactions and interpretations of the religious content of Gone Home, um, because we were in a position where I felt lucky to be able to actually include 
aspects of everyday life up to and including, you know, the, the implied religious beliefs of the characters that live in this house in a modern setting. Um, yeah. And, you know, one of the, one of my big inspirations for that or not, I mean, on some level, I think that if we were going to depict a middle American modern middle class house, that some aspect of acknowledging what these characters beliefs are would just naturally have to be in the in the space that you explore. But yeah. that said, um, something that really struck me and that I was impressed by um, when I first played the original Bioshock um, was how much stuff in the real world that it talked about, um, you know, outside of itself, you know, mm-hmm. acknowledging the point in history that it took place and, you know, world figures that, that shaped um, the culture that, that Rapture was born out of. And in the... Um, the god I, my, in my in my head the uh the internal like level names for the levels are what i think of uh fisheries um neptune's bounty uh it's like the the kind of fishing dock area in bioshock one yeah, it's yeah. also where they did all the smuggling and a big part of the, the 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 level was about you know people smuggling stuff into the city that wasn't supposed to be there and one of the main first things you find are crates full of Bibles and crucifixes. Yeah, I remember because, that. Because, you know, like this is this is a a a libertarian objectivist um you know, like a set of, of values that the city was built on, which includes atheism, right? Like you go into the front door and it says no gods or kings, only man. It's like very hardline about that. And it starts to <laughs> talk about interesting things about like well, this is supposed to be a libertarian utopia where there are no rules except for personal freedom. But also, obviously, the people that run this place are cracking down on, well, except you can't have these kinds of things in the city according to our rules. And so people are smuggling stuff in, which includes this the, the, the accoutrement of having religion in this mm-hmm. theoretically like non-religious society. And mm-hmm. having that as part of the world building and saying like, no, you're going to come into this place and find Bibles and crosses, and it's going to say something about how these people live, I thought was really powerful and really interesting, and especially really rare in 2007 in the AAA shooter game, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so in Gone Home, it was really interesting to see how people interpreted the religious content in the house in Gone Home through the lens of their own experience and what they thought it said about Sam and the family and their evolution as people um, over the course of the story and so forth. Um, yeah. That so, was interesting. But, Cause I remember talking to you about that uh, in our interview um, way back. And uh, you know, you, I think you mentioned that some people read it as like, well, this family must be really religious. Cause like they right. have, there's Bibles laying around and there's like <laughs> this, there's a, a marriage book by a, a reverend or a pastor right. or something. Um, yeah. and so they must be like really religious, but I, I read it the other way. I read it like, well, they must be, I read it like sort of kind of like my, the way I grew up, like we went, we had a relationship with the church, but it wasn't something that was really a part of our daily lives, you know? Right. And I was like, I found the book, I found the Bible at the bottom of a book and I'm like, well, they must not really be into this that much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that was where I, you know, I, I basically was coming from, okay, they have about that same level of presence of religion in their lives as my family did when I was growing up, um, which is that it was there and, and they believed in it, but it wasn't like central to their, their day-to-day life. Yeah. And then, yeah. Sam kind of 
just drifting away from it as she got older and got into her teen years and everything. Yeah. But yeah, seeing some people be like, wow, yeah, exactly. This must, this must be a super religious family. But I think that's, you know, people <laughs> yeah. like kind of extrapolate that stuff out and they find a Bible and they put, you know, a ton of like, cause I, I, I was, I remember some, talking to someone in person. They were like, oh yeah, there's like tons of Bibles everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, I think there's like three in this whole giant house. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, um, some and people, I, yeah, just, just kind of bringing their, their background to it. Yeah. I think it's like whether, you know, what, however you approach religion, um, it's a huge part of our nation's history, right? Yeah. And, um, and like, I think even the average American kid that grows up is going to like, you know, he may not read the Bible cover to cover, but he's gonna, gonna come across it and he's gonna probably have friends that care about it or, 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 yeah. or whatever. And so like, to me, it was an incredible, like, to me, like, Gone Home is, was, I appreciated that aspect of Gone Home because, like you said earlier, I just don't think that's something that we, strangely, many games acknowledge, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think big games are afraid of controversy, you know? Yeah. Like, like, games that, I mean, that's something that impressed me so much about it being in, in Bioshock was that, you know, Take Two Entertainment is a publicly traded company, right? Like, if, if they put content in a game that they're publishing, and there's a big, you know, group of, of the audience that is offended by it. And there's like boycotts or whatever. Like that's not going to be good for their bottom line, you know? So like I was, it, I thought it was kind of an impressive decision to, um, <clears throat> to support the, the creators, um, of the game in what they wanted to, to put in the game and, and ship that. And it definitely had an influence on me. And I'm grateful to be working in a space where like when we made Gone Home, we weren't accountable to anyone outside of the basement that we were making the game in <laughs> so we didn't have yeah. to worry about stockholders or whatever and we could just say we're going to depict this family how we think they would be if you came into this house and that aspect of our lives was part of it yeah yeah absolutely i wonder if there if if the issue was controversy though because like i remember fallout 3 for instance like and this was mm-hmm. pretty typical there it's the same thing in dead space where religion's just like dumb or bad in some way you know well, or i mean in dead space at least it's like a like a cult or whatever you yeah. know like, yeah. yeah sure yeah I, I think that yeah i think that that's i think that's a huge part of it is that and that's just i mean at that point it's just a question of of working in really broad strokes you know where it's sort of like okay we need bad guys so what's yeah. their deal <laughs> yeah. you know and that's and true. i think that sure. being part of a crazy cult is pretty easy to say like, they're all brainwashed they're part of this cult um mm-hmm. but you know, I, I think that when you play, when you when you play something that is able to talk more directly and openly about the issues that are on screen and isn't just kind of like using them as shorthand for something, um, then hopefully that's that's one of the most interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, uh, why don't we move on uh, to talking yeah. about uh, <laughs> to talking about video games because that's what yeah, we're yeah. here for, right? Well, we did talk sure. about video games though. Um, <laughs> So we done. talked about them in in a cool way, I think. Hopefully, now a um, dumb way. <laughs> now, <laughs> now only dumb comments about video games, please. From here on out. Right, let's, let's, uh, get, let's do this thing. <laughs> Rich, I think you were going to talk a little bit about Rogue Legacy. Did you start playing that this week? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, the reason I brought it up is because it's coming out for the PlayStation Four, I think, and maybe PlayStation Three. I don't know. Maybe just PlayStation Three. I don't know. It's coming out for PlayStation things. <laughs> well, it, it, it was out on the Vita a little while ago, right? Okay, I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And now it's going. Yeah, which is like, kind of like 
So, I think the perfect uh, platform for that yeah, game. Yeah, definitely. No question. Yeah. So I, uh, I've i played Rogue Legacy in the past, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about it because it's this weird example of a game that seems like really cool and the ideas behind it are really cool. And then the, the more I started playing it, like the less I started to like it, like it started to feel like... Everything, like all of this, the concepts behind it were, were kind of excuses to just like cause this feedback loop where you, you just want to keep playing and playing and playing and you can't really, you, there's not really for me like a good reason other than you want to finish the game or progress a little farther to keep Does it, playing. I mean, does it have a, does it have a, a full on ending? Like, can you beat, can you, is it like yeah, a final you can boss? Beat it. Yeah. Okay. There's a all final right. boss. Um, and I never got there because I just I got tired of it and yeah. Quit. But I mean, I I know a lot of people who just found themselves not a lot. I know a few people who just found themselves, um, you know, playing it at the same time, t- like saying they didn't really understand why they were playing it. It always <laughs> freaks me out when someone says that about a game. Like people say right, that about yeah. Candy Crush and other games, and I wouldn't say right. this is to the level of Candy Crush. Of course not, especially in terms of exploitation and stuff. But it feels. It feels very much like um like a feedback loop that is that is very much geared around like just just play again, just play again, just play again, just trust us, just play again. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll give you a little bit more reason. Yeah. Well, like with cuz it's sort of I don't know um how much you know about it Steve, but there's like you know, your the idea is that each time you play you're playing uh, as a relative of right. uh, a a seed, if you will, right. of the hero. Uh, who died previously. So you get a little bit of their money and you can use that to buy upgrades and things that will make, hopefully make your next playthrough a little bit better. Yeah. And I, I, um, you know, it's, it's not the same structure because it doesn't have that. Well, there's some amount of progression building as you go along, but like I'm personally of a similar mindset where I played some Spelunky, (laughs) you know, but like I, I got to that same, that same point where I was sort of like, I don't, I don't care enough about like getting better at this and actually like beating the main boss and everything to keep going back through over and over and practicing more and getting better and like building my, my skill set to, to really like master this game. Um, I don't know if Rogue Legacy is even as far down that line, but it, it has this similar feeling to me where it's just sort of like, all right, I get it. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. start over anymore. Yeah, like, see, I could start over a hundred more times and yeah. get further, but like, I don't know why. <laughs> to me, like, see, to me, like, Spelunky is um, light years better than Log- Rogue Legacy because there's so much like variety and interlocking systems in that game that like sure, things, yeah. can, new things can happen. You know what I mean? Different right. things can happen. You can have different challenges, whatever. Um, and that, that can be interesting. And Rogue Legacy, you just like hit a spike again and you, and you come, I mean, I, that's a lot like Spelunky, but still, there are different ways to hit spikes in Spelunky. <laughs> right. Yeah. You get knocked onto a spike because a frog blew up and whatever. Exactly. Exactly. I, I wonder if Rogue Legacy is maybe less interest or less, or feels more like, almost exploitative to you because it is a little bit more forgiving because in terms of like roguelikes um it is it's more like a roguelite <laughs> right, <laughs> but yeah. uh you know it's like because y- you get you know there's clear value to doing really well but not finishing um and well and and i think like um uh, 
it just feel it feels a little more straightforward, I guess, than Spelunky, which feels like um, I don't know. To me, I don't play a lot of Spelunky. I think because almost because it feels too punishing to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that maybe what you're saying in part, and I haven't played Rogue Legacy again, but maybe kind of part of the impulse that you have is that since you do gain stuff concretely for like playing and then dying and then playing again and yeah. almost maybe does it make it feel a little bit grindier you know yes, so exactly. like okay yeah that's yeah. totally yeah, yeah. true there's a million times where you'll you'll start the stinking game knowing you don't have a character that does anything and you're just like <laughs> okay i guess i'll just break some chairs and faces <laughs> and grab yeah. some money yeah, you, and then maybe i can do something with it yeah you get a choice of three different like um characters for each like a class and um, each class has like various genetic traits or whatever, and some of which are really helpful and some of which kind of screw you over. Mm, and right. so sometimes between those three choices, I mean, Rich is like, absolutely right. It's just like, well, I'm going to try to get like, I'm just going to try to get as much gold as I can to leave a little bit next for me to like do something productive. Right. Um, yeah. Or sometimes you even go like, I would do this. I got to the point like it, it's interesting because when I first started playing it, I would very much like, I thought this whole concept of, of a genealogy of heroes was really interesting. So I would be like super careful every time. Cause I'm like, man, you know, um, Drew Jr. Gotta take care of him. Uh, you know, <laughs> I got all <laughs> right, this stuff yeah. for him. So he's yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting, but after a while, it was just like, I'm killing Drew Jr. right now <laughs> yeah, because, exactly. because he's small. And that's literally one of the, the traits is you can be a small, a, a little person. Yeah. What do you call that? What's the? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, I think. I want to make. Sure I was trying to be politically correct, or yeah, I think you did. Polite. I think you nailed it. But anyway, so and you, I would just kill him because I'm like, he's not. I just need to go. I need somebody better. <laughs> so. Speaking of survival of the fittest. <laughs> yeah. So. Is that your experience, Rich? Is Rich yes. Are you there? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. My wife just walked in and saw the mirror, so I'm having to uh. mouth at her what happened. It broke. It broke while I was talking about Jesus. It was a sign. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway. Um. So. Well, yeah. Oh, yes. I remember what I was going to say. So, yeah. I think the biggest problem for me with that game, and I don't want to make value judgments based on it. It's really just a matter of what I was expecting and what it offered. So I was expecting this thing about legacy <laughs> and like right. various, you know, offspring and how that works and how, and it's interesting because you can choose different things and that, that thematic stuff really appealed to me. And honestly, the gameplay would have appealed to me too, but they, they collide and they don't match one another in a way that, re- that I find really super valuable it feels evil <laughs> in the way that you're treating these these uh people you know yep yeah so at, I least, think... at least at least it at least for me i guess it inc- I, I guess there are some people probably who play the game and be like i'm gonna take care of this guy i'm even though he's not the character i want maybe there's people who do that but for me it like it definitely played into that side of that prag- pragmatic side of, of yeah. me where i was just like so you nope. use the word exploitative and i don't want to i don't want to make that claim like i can't put uh motivation motives on this guy who made this game i think it's a cool game overall and i really like i'll be interested in what they do next but um it it didn't appeal to me after a while. Felt kind of gross to play it for that reason. So yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like something can feel that way to us, but that doesn't. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's clear having read a little bit about the developer. I don't think that was their intent at all. 
So yeah, but it, it it can be interesting how when you start designing something, it can be hard to visualize all the way out to the um to the logical conclusion of what your mechanics are going to say when they're fully yeah. developed. So I can yep. totally see it being like this is a great thing, and then you you get all the way to building it out, and it's like oh, <laughs> <laughs> and and that's one of the most interesting things I think about. I mean, really, and that's that's part of. I guess any kind of making art or entertainment is yeah. you can't control what people's reaction to it is. But when it's systems, there's just this extra level of, of the system turning into something else as you build it. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yep. For sure. Well, um, I believe, uh, Steve, you were going to talk to us about, um, kind of the, the state of Japanese games these days about how, that that's kind of been shifting for a while now, I guess. At least yeah. in, in the West, it feels like the popularity of of Japanese games is nowhere what it used to be. Yeah, I was thinking about this recently. I guess um, I've been replaying some of uh, Resident Evil Four um, because it's just I it, I think it's the best like single player shooter campaign that that has ever been made. Personally, just like the inventiveness and the balance and everything is is incredible. Um, and I'll, I'll, I played through that game probably five or six times since it came out. But also, it came out ten years ago now, um, which you know, when I thought about it, I was like, "Oh, ten years since? Wow, I guess that's right. It was a GameCube game, huh? You know, kind of thing." And it's been released on tons of systems since then, and it came out on Steam just recently. It's one of those perennial games that is like it's always worth playing. So <laughs> they keep porting it on new platforms. Um, but it kind of made me think about, yeah, how. I don't know, there's this interesting balance where I feel like fewer and fewer games that come out every year that have a lot of impact in like the discussion we're having about games and really, you know, what games people buy commercially and so forth. Um, fewer and fewer of them are from Japan, like aside from Nintendo games, where it's like, I'm sure Mario Kart 8 is like, you know, people talked about it, it became a meme, like it's clearly a good game and, and I'm sure they sold a bunch of copies, but like, you know, I'm sort of like, okay, well, what else? You know, I guess Dark Souls obviously is like thing, and you know, it's 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 sort of hard. And I, you know, there are Metal Gear Solid games that are that are still coming out. Those are huge, but um, I feel like you know, on a on a month to month basis or whatever, it's just fewer and fewer of the games that people are are really diving into come from Japan. Um, but that also there's this interesting ongoing influence of Japanese design, but yeah. some of it is from like past generations catching up with, with what people are doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was, I was thinking about um, that game Shovel Knight that came out and I played some of Shovel Knight and I, I, I mentioned you guys, I asked before the podcast started and you guys said you hadn't gotten a chance to play it yet. Um, but when you play it, it's, it's very much based on, like Mega Man and uh, mm-hmm. like NES Mega Man games and um, the Legend of Zelda 2, you know, the one that had side-scrolling stuff in it and like Castlevania 2. It's sort of like it's a modern game made by an American company that was released on, I think so far, only PC. Or maybe it's on consoles as well um, as a download. But that is also entirely based on the design approach that Japanese companies were taking, you know, 25 years ago. Um, hmm. So I don't know. It, it, I guess it's, it, it, I just had this this moment of realizing like fewer and fewer games that are coming out now that people are talking about are Japanese, but 
there's as much, if not more, Japanese influence on yeah. design games now than ever. And I wonder if some of that, like, some of the, at least of Shovel Knight or whatever, if some of that uh, is because of, like, nostalgia, you know? Yeah. I think, I think there's a big influence of, like, making, like, this is like every other Kickstarter. <laughs> it seems <laughs> like, it's like, hey, this is the game that you used to like to play all the time. When, right. When you were younger. Um, but now, you know, n- now it won't get funded unless you fund my Kickstarter. Right. Mm-hmm. Which That's... Shovel Knight was a Kickstarter game. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I just, I'm almost sure, yeah. I, I was, as, right as I said that, I was like, <laughs> Shovel Knight was a Kickstarter game. And now I'm sort of like, um, but. but I think, you know, if you, if you dig towards like, I don't know, um, Shadow Complex or even Braid, you know, it's like Metroid and Super Mario yeah. Brothers, you know, are the points yeah. of reference. Well, I think that, and I think that's huge, like, to be aware of that influence of, um, you know, some amazing Japanese games that are still having, like, a big influence on, um, on games today. Um, I also wonder, though, if maybe, like, Japanese influence, a lot of times I wonder if Japanese influence isn't, or, like, Japanese games aren't less, necessarily less successful so much as, like, everybody else's, like, games are so much more global now. Right, you know, yeah, yeah, um, than they ever were before. Um, I mean, there's like amazing studios in Turkey and uh, Russia and yeah, um, you know, uh, Brazil even and Argentina. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I think that um, you know, Steam has been a huge driver in that. You know, like when you look at the Steam the Steam top selling list and a game like spin tires is the top seller where it's like <laughs> this is a russian game about driving big russian trucks through a forest and like that's the whole game is like it's like okay well it's awesome that a game with that concept from a developer from that region can be like the best selling pc game in the world um and it's just a totally different you know uh, uh space to be working in than even 10 years ago where it was like if you're not on a store shelf, then nobody's buying your game, really, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I'm sorry, I, I have nothing to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm racking my brain. I got nothing. So I'm just going to say, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think, like, we can at least all say that, like, we probably... Steve, did you grow up playing console games? Yeah. Console and PC kind of back and forth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, for consoles, it feels like, for sure, like, there's this just massive... I think um, debt that like that is owed to Japanese games. I mean, they yeah. kind of controlled the consoles, um, Sega, Nintendo, um, and and PlayStation too. Really, all the best early PlayStation games, in my opinion, were, were Japanese. Yeah, <clears throat> and so um, you know, just kind of, I think maybe maybe a, a, a talking point is to encourage, like, because I think sometimes <laughs> I don't know, we've gotten um, or I've gotten accused at at game church of like not being into Japanese games. And, mm. uh, and I, which is weird because that's Bias. all. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's all. I, yeah. That's all I played as a kid. So it's yeah. weird to think that, but, um, but yeah, like uh, there, and there are still some amazing like Japanese games, um, like dark souls. I'm not into it, but I, I, I think it's an amazing game. Yeah. Um, well, and as far as being influential, like yeah. many designers yeah. are using that as a basis for what they're doing all over the world. Yeah, and honestly, some of the, like the craziest, most interesting, like um, off the wall games are still being made in Japan, and I mean that yeah. as a compliment. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the name of it now. What's that game where you start out as a Pomeranian? 
Oh, oh Tokyo Jungle. Yeah, yeah, I love that game. Oh, it's so good. I just, I mean, I think it's a wonderfully like creative idea um, yeah. that that people should have thought of way before, and it doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would be made in the West. Yeah, my favorite sure. game of all time is El Shaddai, which is about as you know, that's pretty Japanese. Wow. Game. Yeah, no, it's extremely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I one thing that I think is is true is that Japanese designers absolutely own up to the present and that no Western designer can touch is that Japanese games have good boss fights. And I <laughs> I don't know if there's ever been a good boss fight that's been made by a Western developer. <laughs> that's really true. That's like yeah. a for me, that's like a backhanded compliment, but it's totally true. I mean, oh yeah. Well, yeah, when I don't know, playing any like Shadow of the Colossus was like the yeah, boss fight game. Or point, if you yeah. play like I don't know, I I played Vanquish, you know, when it when it came out and like it has amazing, like overwhelming, crazy mm. boss fights. And there's just something about the design culture there that, that makes those experiences good in Japanese games and I think we just don't get it over yeah. <laughs> over here for some yeah. reason. Yeah, answer... I'm thinking now of El Shaddai and those mo- those uh boss fights in that game are like these incredible, intense, like emotional moments. Yeah. That, yep. that I feel like that's that's probably what all those boss fights have in common. You know, is that they're they're huge mom- like they're huge moments. They're just huge. You know, whether they're action or adventure or even something personal, like stuff is happening in those things. Yeah. As opposed to like, here's a boss you got to beat now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was playing some of the Destiny beta recently, and. uh it's just so mind-numbingly stupid. The boss fights are. <laughs> it's just. It's so frustrating. Like, cause I'm really, I really have been enjoying that game mostly. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautifully made game. Um, a lot of thing, a lot of things about the design of that game I really appreciate. But then you get to these boss fights, and it's just like, okay, well, I guess for the next twenty minutes, I'm going to be hiding behind this rock and then peeking out and taking yeah. a few shots and then hiding behind another rock and doing mm-hmm. the same thing. Or not necessarily a rock, but you know, a beer. Um. <laughs> <Or whatever. laughs> yeah, I, I, something I just um, I just remembered the um, the Batman Arkham games actually have a lot of good boss fights. In oh um, yeah, they do for sure. So so that's a that's a British uh, developer. So you know there okay. So there are some. I take back my my prior comment, but I think that it's still like there's a big divide there. Hmm. We should just spend the rest of the podcast arguing about the best boss fights. (laughs) 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 Did you ever play Rage? That's some pretty good boss fights. Uh, Really? I thought so. Okay. I Uh, I played a little bit of Rage, but I don't think, I don't know if I got to a boss fight. Yeah, there was this one level where the whole, like, you played for, it was about like a 30 minute level, and the whole time you you catch little glimpses of this ginormous boss Hmm. that you're just like, the whole time you're going like, please don't say I have to like shoot that thing with a gun because <laughs> this looks awful <laughs> and then and then you get to the boss fight and it is kind of awful I thought just the <laughs> and the anticipate the build up to that boss fight I think and generally like honestly that's something in in um Japanese games a lot of times that you get is that build up to the boss fight yeah but, um like Shadow of a Colossus maybe is a good example of like you see this thing from across the way and you're just like oh no way. I'm not doing that. Like, yeah, right. You know, and, like, I don't even want to, I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin here. Um, <laughs> and I think that's, um, something that's maybe missing from a lot of the, a lot of the way boss fights are approached nowadays, which is just like, here's this nasty thing that you kind of shoot a million times. Yeah. Um, right. So, well, um, I think for the sake of time, 
we'll skip my talk my topic because uh, <laughs> you guys could do it next time. It'll yeah, be a, we'll do it'll it be a good discussion time. with your next guest. Yeah. So um, because and neither of you guys have kids anyway, and I was going to talk about <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was going to talk about playing games with your kids, which maybe I don't really change. Maybe I'll change for the next for next week. Oh man, I hope so. I hope we. Yeah, you may, maybe you'll have a kid by then. Yeah, <laughs> guess we'll find out. Never know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Steve, um, we we really enjoyed having you. We love Gone Home. We love Minerva's Den. Um, we we really thrilled to have you. We think Gone Home is a special game, and uh, are thrilled to have a uh, have you on the cast with us, man. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for playing it and and talking about this stuff. It's been really interesting, and I really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Thanks, for sure, Steve. Man. Appreciate yep. it. Yeah. Well, do not forget to uh, rate and review our podcast on iTunes because if you do, um, we might be able to uh, beat out um, Steve's podcast on (laughs) on iTunes. (laughs) So that's the goal, really. We were catching up there for a minute, and then then we dropped. So, um, but yeah, you guys can do it. I believe in you. What is your podcast? Just keep on casting. We should though be nice and say what your podcast is. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Steve, Steve has a great podcast. It's called Tone Control. You want to tell us about it? Yeah, it was. So this is why you guys are going to win because uh, (laughs) Tone Control. I did 14 episodes of it. It Basically, after we shipped Gone Home, um, I was going around to a lot of conferences and stuff that other game developers were at. So I was like, it would be really interesting to sit down with a microphone and just talk to them about their careers and their creative process. So I interviewed a bunch of. the, the intent was to talk to people who were like project leads or creative directors or like solo creators. Um, so I, I talked to like the creative director of Last of Us and of the Fraxis XCOM. And I talked to my old boss, Ken Levine, and I talked to Brendan Chung, who made like 30 Flights of Loving and, and Adam Zombie Smasher and a, a ton of interesting people. Um, Jake and, and Sean, um, who I also do the Idle Thumbs podcast with, but that were the leads on the first season of Walking Dead, etc. So, um, yeah, it's at idlethumbs.net slash tone control, and it's just basically an archive of these conversations I had, and I'm hoping to do season two at some point in the future, but it might be after our next game comes out, so don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, so, yeah, cool. you guys will catch up, because you'll keep making episodes, and I won't. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to go down the guest list of tongue control and Do contact it. these people. I would I would listen to this conversation with any of the people that I talk to. It would be best. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, I'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.